There's a quote that I saw on Facebook not too long ago, and if you're on Facebook, you might have seen it too. It's really short, just one sentence, and it says this. May your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. <laughs> have any of you ever pretended something was true when it really wasn't? That maybe you had a certain skill that was, you just made it look like it was so much better than what it really was, or you just pretended to be someone you're not? Anyone? It's a little hard to admit that one, right? Well, maybe some of us, but I do see some nodding heads. Well, if there are any of you who said, no, I have never pretended anything, I've always just been me, you're lying. Because that is not true. And I will prove it to you. Have you ever been angry and you put on a smiley face? And you acted like you were happy and everything was grand. Have you? Yes, we all have. Have you ever been hurt? But yet you pretended that everything was fine. Who cares that person said that? I'm totally okay. It doesn't bother me at all. We've all done that too. We all pretend at some points in our lives. And I've been learning that it's really not healthy for relationships to do that. And so I've been trying to share with my husband especially what I really think and feel. Why do you think that we are so afraid to share what we feel? I think that there might be several different reasons, but one of the main ones is that we don't ever want to look bad. Would you agree with that? We don't want to look bad. Who wants to look bad? Nobody. And so we try to pretend that everything is good because maybe if we really show that we are angry at something, well, that's the wrong emotion. So why would I, I show it, right? And especially as Christians, we don't want to look like we're not Christian. And that makes us not Christian. And so we pretend, but I really think that God is okay with us telling him, this is how I feel. And if we try it with the people we love, you'll be surprised it actually works too. Because it builds connection. The pretense, the pretending builds walls between us. Well, Jesus, in the passage that we'll be covering today, is talking about pretending and that he also doesn't like it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter six, so I invite you to turn there, Matthew chapter six, and we're actually right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been following along, we started out in Matthew chapter five with the Beatitudes, where Jesus starts it out by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, he's saying, Blessed are you when you realize that you need me. And that's the foundation for everything. And then when we are believers in God, when we follow God, he says, let me give you tips on what it means, what it practically means to walk with me. And so he starts out by saying you are to be salt and light. And then he talks about the Ten Commandments, that they were still binding and that he came to fulfill them. 
Then he goes on to murder, but he really says that it's the anger and the hatred and the bitterness that's the problem and that we are to reconcile with people. And then he goes and talks about marriage, tips on that, that we are to care about each other and take it as important. Then he gives a few other tips and he ends with Love your enemies. In fact, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. In other words, when you love those who love you, that's easy to do. But I'm calling you to more than that, to love those who maybe don't love you. And then he ends chapter five by saying, therefore you shall be perfect. And that perfect is not perfect in everything that I do, but perfect in love, because that's what he's been talking about. They were to be perfect in love, just as your Father in heaven is perfect in love, because he loves us perfectly, and so we should show that to others. And then, Jesus goes on, and in this first part of chapter six, there is a unit, verses one through 18, work together, and if you compare those messages in there, you realize that Jesus is using very much the same phrases all throughout. And he's specifically mentioning three things, that as believers, these are the things that we do. Number one, charitable deeds. Number two, prayer, which Pastor Chad spoke about last week. And number three, fasting. And that's the one we'll look at today. So. Chapter 6, verse 16, let's start there. It says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. The word for hypocrites comes from the word to pretend, to feign. So in other words, you could say that Jesus is saying, when you fast, do not be like the pretenders. Fasting was ingrained in the Jewish society. It is something they did. There was only one day of the year where God actually specifically asked them to fast, but the rest were voluntary. Well, this day that God asked them to fast on, it was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is also known as the Day of Judgment or the Day of Salvation, because it is all of that, because judgment is about salvation. If you remember what happens in the sanctuary, the sinner would do something wrong, would come into the sanctuary, and would have to kill an animal. And then the priest would take it, and I'm just simplifying here, would take the blood of the animal and would sprinkle it going towards the sanctuary several times. When the sinner confessed, the sinner was forgiven right away. However, even if we're forgiven, we don't stop being sinners, do we? And sin still exists. So sin would still accumulate in the sanctuary. And then one day a year, God would say, all right, now it's time to reverse the process. I want to show you what I'm going to do about sin. What my final solution is, about sin. And so now the priest would reverse it and he would take the blood of the animals that he killed and he would sprinkle it out of the sanctuary. Then he would put his hands on the goat 
that was sent into the wilderness, symbolizing that now the sin was placed on the head of Satan, who was the one who caused the sin in the first place. And on that day, God asked the people to fast and pray because he wanted them to realize how terrible sin, the sin problem really is and what he will do that one day that innocent lamb will be slain because of the sin problem, that God has a solution. And so he wanted them to come and humble themselves before him and realize who God is and how much he's giving us and appreciate what he's doing. And then there were other times when they would do it voluntarily. And I'm sure that you have read some of these stories, like Esther, who said, all right, let's have all of the Jews fast and pray with me and my servants. We're going to pray and fast for three days. Did you know that they didn't just fast from food, but they also fasted from drinking anything? For three days, they didn't eat or drink. And in the book of Leviticus 16, where it's talking about the Day of Atonement, it's saying to, that they were to afflict their souls, which means to fast, to be without food. However, not each time that they did some fasting, they all abstained from all food. There was different types of fasting, like Daniel, he chooses to do certain things, and at times he abstains from food completely, and at times he does not, and sometimes he's fasting for several days. He's fasting for wisdom from God because he had a vision and he wants wisdom from God to understand what this vision means. So he's fasting for that. He's also fasting because he realizes that God had said in his word that there will be 70 years that they will be in Babylon. And now Medo-Persia has taken over and the 70 years are over. It's time for them to go out, but they're still there. And so he fasts and prays because he wants to know God. What do you have to say about that? Or then later on in the New Testament, we have other people fasting. We see the disciples fasting. If you remember, the disciples of John come up to Jesus and say, how come your disciples aren't fasting? And he says, well, because they are with me right now. When the bridegroom leaves, that's when they will fast. And Jesus himself fasted for 40 days. There are many different reasons that people fasted and prayed in the Bible. But it was part of their experience with God. And it was an important experience with God. And so now Jesus comes and says, when you do that, when you fast, do not pretend. And he continues and explains this. With, be with a sad countenance, disfigure your faces, that you may appear to men to be fasting. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. What happened over time was that even though fasting was part of their religious experience of walking with God, someone decided along the way that the fasting just once in a while wasn't really enough, that they needed to really show that they belonged to God. And so they instituted fasting twice a week. 
And several of them, several of the groups of the Jews fasted every single Monday and Thursday. Never on a Sabbath. Nobody ever did fasting on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was to be the most joyous, the most awesome day of the week. So they didn't fast on Sabbath unless the Day of Atonement fell on a Sabbath. And when you go to Israel, you realize what a celebration the Sabbath really is. And we pale in comparison in the way that we celebrate the Sabbath. So someone said that, all right, we have heard, and it was a tradition, that Moses went up, the Mount, Sinai, went up Mount Sinai on those days, Monday and Thursday, and so we're going to fast on those days. And as it would happen over time, it just kind of became the thing to do. And for many of them, not for all, it became a way to show how pious they are how much better of a Christian, much better of a follower of God they are than the people who are not doing it. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't put on this sad face. And then disfigure your faces, what that word really means is not really disfiguring somehow doing something to your face, but they would pour ashes on their heads, they wouldn't take care of themselves for the day, and then they would cry. And so the mixture of tears and ashes, you can imagine what they looked like, a mess. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He says, that is not what I look for. In verse 17, he says, but you, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. When we think of anointing, someone getting anointed, we usually think of the pictures that we have seen in the Old Testament of a prophet coming and anointing a king, or in the New Testament where James says, call together all the elders and pray and anoint the person who is sick. But that's not what this is referring to. This is not a special type of anointing. They also anointed their bodies just every day. Just like we put on lotion. Well, maybe women do it more than men, but we put on lotion on the day. That's what they did with this oil that it's referring to. During the day, they would wash in the morning, they would comb their hair, and they would put on oil. And some of the oils had different smells. And so this was kind of their way of putting perfume and cologne on. And so when Jesus is telling them to do this, he says, just be normal. Like this is, this is like every other day. Don't make it something spectacular. Just do the same thing you always do. And then do it for me. Do it for God, not for the people. And then he ends it by saying, for your father who sees in secret, who sees what's in your heart, will reward you openly. When I first started studying this passage, I thought, wow, what am I going to find in that? It's three verses long. And the more I dug, the more I realized there are so many incredible lessons in just these three verses. So I want to tell you three main ones that I have pulled out that are also something that I realized I needed to hear. 
Number one, fasting is something that believers do. And I know that today it's not exactly a popular thing to do, but I do know that there are people in this congregation who fast and pray because you've shared it with me. I come from a family of people who fast and pray. My grandparents, my grandma, there were times when she would fast every single week for a really long time. My mom remembers it. Both my grandparents would fast even when there was someone who they didn't know but they heard that that person had a need, they would, fa they would fast for them. I remember being a teenager, a young teenager, and my grandparents were visiting, and I asked them why they weren't eating. And my grandma said, well, because we just got news that a boy was in an accident and he was about to have his leg amputated, and so we're fasting for him. And they fasted and prayed and hardly slept the night because they prayed through the night. And the next morning they got the news that this boy who they didn't even know was going to survive and his leg was going to be fine. My parents have fasted for all of us. Every single time there has been something going on in our lives, with our spouses, with their kids, with my siblings' kids, with any of us, my parents would take the time to fast. And they would sometimes do it for days. I just listened to a podcast on Family Life Today the other day, this last week, and there was a pastor who was sharing that his wife was diagnosed with cancer when their kids were little, and that they had decided to fast and pray, and they prayed every single week for a year. And then at the end of that year, they got the news that she was free from cancer. Now, I want to tell you something about fasting. And something that we've discovered, fasting is not a manipulation of God to do for us whatever it is that we want done. That's not, it's not about the miracles that we want. And there have been times in my family when we have fasted and prayed and God did not answer our prayer the way we wanted it answered. Things still happen completely differently. But you know what happened? Every single time that I have fasted and prayed, God has showed himself to me in a way that I would never have been able to see otherwise. And that's the miracle. Not about me getting what I want, but about what God can do to show himself to me. About God making himself more real and my connection with him growing deeper. So number one, fasting is something that believers do. And if you haven't noticed, if you compare the passages here, in chapter six, verse two, it says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, the exact same phrase, when you do a charitable deed, because it is expected that as a believer, we will do things for others. The same thing with prayer. It says, when you pray, because we will pray. If we love God and we want to walk with him, we will pray. Well, and the same thing now it says with when you fast. Fasting is something that believers do. 
Number two, we are not to do things for appearances, but for God. I hope that you noticed that as we were reading it, the word for to appear a certain way to men was repeated several times in this passage. And the word means to shine out, to appear a certain way, to be seen a certain way. And if you compare those passages again, you notice that it's referring to the exact same thing for each one of them. For charitable deeds, it says that they are doing it for glory from men. For prayer, they're saying that they are doing some spectacular prayers to be seen by men. And in the fasting, it says, because we want to appear a certain way. There is a contrast here between appearing a certain way to people because I want admiration of someone versus doing something for God. Now I wanna tell you this, there is nothing wrong with getting praise from people. There's nothing wrong with someone complimenting you and saying, you have a great voice, you should keep, you should keep singing for God. You can explain things really well. You can smile really bright and just make my day. There's nothing wrong with any of those. So what is the problem? Problem is me. My motivation for why I am doing things. And I have to tell you that if I'm honest with myself, there are times when I will go to God and I'll say, God, I don't know. I don't know if I am doing it for you or if I'm doing it for praise. And I know that I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do things for praise. So I pray often, Lord, please change me. Please give me that love for you and for people so that I don't do things just to look good, but that I do them because they are right in your eyes. But doing things that are right in God's eyes requires courage. Because there are times when we do those things that we get rejected by some of the people who are around us. Or we may risk humiliation. And sometimes doing things that are right in God's eyes also means that I have to set aside my pride and my stubbornness and sometimes my hurt or even self-pity. So number one, fasting is something that believers do. Number two lesson that I learned is that we are not to do things for appearances but for God. And number three, when we do things in secret, God will reward us. Now, what is this reward that it's talking about here? Now, I want you to notice that there is a contrast between two rewards. The one reward, he says, the people who are doing everything for praise, they have their reward. What does that mean? They will get that praise. That will be their reward. And then he says at the end, but when you do things for me and do them in secret, you will have 
a different reward. I will reward you openly. Now, if you compare the words for reward throughout Scripture, you notice that it is referring to and hinting towards the second coming each time. So what is the reward in the second coming? Well, a lot of times we say, well, that's what the reward is, is that we will be in heaven and we'll be there forever. And so we strive to be part of heaven. But is that really the best that God gives us? I don't think so. To me, the greatest reward that I can have is Jesus. Jesus is my reward. He is the best that God gives. And that is our promise. And because he's coming during the second coming and we will be with him in heaven, he is also alive now. And he is there for me now every single day. When I need peace, when I need joy, whatever it is that I need, I need comfort. He's the one who is there for me. He is my greatest reward. When I used to lead music or a worship team, I had different teams that we would, and we would travel and, and do music. One of the last teams that I was on, there was a song that the team loved to sing. And it's called Christ is Enough. And the song starts out by saying, Christ is my reward. And all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing. No turning back. I've been set free. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. And then at the end, it goes back to our, our familiar song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We have a choice. Which reward do we want? Praise from people or Jesus? I pray that every single one of us chooses Jesus.